What's going on, folks? This is Daryl, your host of Narratives Over Wine and Whiskey Podcast, the podcast where we discuss issues that impact black and millennial communities while having a good drink. So today I've got one of my longtime good friends with me, my boy James Hart. Um, I've known James now since 2007, so that's 13 years, but you know it's not an unlucky year, man. This is, this is my dude. I'm excited to have him here. We're, we are socially distant, but we are on the patio. So uh, you're actually getting the, the live sounds behind my house and not, not the studio sounds. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to have my boy here. He has actually blessed me with a, a couple bottles to, uh, to try on the podcast today. So we are going to be tasting a lot. We're not going to be getting too lifted, but um, having a, just, just a, a good conversation. You're going to get to hear me as I, as I regularly am, which you do most of the time, but with around someone who's known me for, for the better part of what, a decade and a half. So today we've got, uh, he's brought Russell's Reserve, 10-year-old, uh, so I'm excited about that. Got a bottle of Angel's Envy, another bourbon. I pulled out from my collection um, Pikesville 110 proof straight rye. Honestly, it's, it's why I'm starting to love rye. I got to try some more. I was turned off from rye for a while, but this is, this is my new move. Um, also, have a very rare bottle. I think we're going to start off with that. It's called Widow Jane. Made up in New York, uh, comes from the, the Widow Jane Creek, uh, right outside of the city. And, and yeah, it's a, it's a phenomenally smooth bottle of whiskey. Um, also have a local pick here, Heart of Mystic, about three miles from my house. I featured it a couple, t- a couple weeks ago on the podcast, but I really, really like this one. It's a heavy hitter. We're going to be doing a flight. We won't be doing straight, uh, pours because some of this stuff is kind of heavy. But, uh, lastly, I wanted to, have James tried this 1792, which was a gift from Kevin and Whitney Rainey. Amazingly smooth bottle. We've got some great bourbons here, so make sure you're rewinding so you can figure out what to what to get and what to try. But yeah, this is going to be a regular conversation. Today is actually National Fried Chicken Day. James brought over some Bojangles. If you're from anywhere in the Southeast, um, you know that Bojangles is the go-to spot famous um chicken as well as biscuits so i'm excited to go ahead and kick this off with my boy uh, but james if you will real quickly man introduce yourself ah man daryl appreciate you having me on the podcast um it's been crazy to see the growth of the podcast since you started it um so i'm just blessed to be a part of this um for those who do not know me again my name is james hart um i've known daryl for 13 years, uh, we met at UNCG my freshman year, um, and then from there, they say the rest is history. We've been brothers ever since, um, but aside from that, professionally, I work in human resources, um, so I see a lot of different issues, uh, particularly in local government. Um, I also uh, marry, <laughs> uh, definitely have a lovely wife. Is that four years now? Uh, a little over four years. That's what's up, A little over four years, um, and then I do... Um, a lot of other things um, in my private time as well, um, but I'm just excited to be um, here talking about these issues, particularly during this time um, of, of what's happening in the nation. Uh, I think uh, narratives and, and conversation with brothers is important, so I'm just glad I could be a part of the podcast today. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, go ahead, man. Um, try what you want. I definitely suggest this Widow Jane first. Um, I think you'll like it. As you can see, I, yeah, I think you'll like it. <laughs> That's it. I brought it over to my first best friend from school's house a couple weeks ago, and um, 
he loved it. Very smooth, very, very smooth bourbon. It's a smooth finish. This is, yeah. Yeah. Yo, did you smell it? I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Man. So, there were only five of these in the triangle. I think they said 15 got sent to North Carolina. Wow. So, I found it, and I had to grab it. Wow. I ran across it in um, in Raleigh at the ABC store by Cra- Sa- Crabtree. Um, Sandy Forks? Mm-mm. Triangle Town Center. Triangle Town Center. Okay. Yeah. Over my way. Okay. Yeah, yeah man. This is good. So, that's a very, very smooth pour. And then... Pick one, pick one of yours, man. What, what shall, what shall I run with? What do you think? I think I would try the Russells first, okay? Because these two are like the opposite of each other to me, okay. the Angels and the Russells. I think you'll probably like the Angels better, but I'm gonna let you kind of see. Yeah, know? I've seen Russells, but I haven't tried it. Yet. You know how the ten, the age statements are big, but that yeah. one's a ten year. Yeah. So I'm as is that Widow James. Yeah. So. Okay, we'll see how they compare. Like I said, folks, we're doing light pours today. Um, just trying to get a good taste of the the whiskeys. Mmm, that is nice. Good choice, man. Yeah, man. I mean, you can find it. At first, when I first came across it, I was in South Carolina um, at Frugal McDougal. Mm-hmm. And um, my go-to spots from there. And at the time, they didn't really have it in North Carolina, so I picked it up. And I see they're starting to put some inventory in the store, so you should be able to find it. Yeah, I've seen it. I just had so good stuff. Yeah, should be about you know uh, no more than thirty. Yeah, that's a winner. Yeah. Um, that that's the issue with the widow Jane. Um, but I think it's because it's rare, also. But still, man, it it was for me seeing. I don't care about the price as much as how hard is it going to be for me to find it again. Absolutely, and, I um, I agree. I wanted to try it, especially since you know bourbon is a Kentucky thing, but to get something from New York, you know, that that just has that has that smoothness to it. Um, definitely a, a staple for the collection. Well, look. We're going to keep pouring. We're going to um, enjoy this fried chicken. But I'm just going to kick it off. As a young man, a peer of mine, um, though I came into school a year before you, and I don't consider you a little brother, but a, a close advisor, talk to me about, first and foremost, being a young, married, professional man. Because I've had the conversation, you know, every relationship is different. But how do you think that's helped you mature? Um, into where you are right now as, you know, a young professional, but also a leader in your home, a leader in your community, um, leader in the church. You know, how, how do you think that, that being married and, and your relationship with Elena has just really shaped you and grown you over these past four years of marriage, but what, four years before that, five years? Oh, man, we, me, yeah, me and my wife, we've been together for at least 10 years, for sure, before we got engaged and then, of course, married. Um, but to answer your question directly, I think, in order to be a, a successful young professional, I think being married has definitely helped me um, because you find out when you get married that, you know, in all of your other endeavors, whether it's professional, whether it's your, um, your, you know, your business that you're working on, it calls for you to be a leader. And the first place that you really have to lead once you're married is your home. Uh, and so a lot of the skills that I've cultivated or tried to grow and work in business, you start saying, well, I got to put those to practice first in my own marriage. Um, and so I think Elena, especially um, with my wife, um, us growing together um, and then me really, I would say, really just trying to be intentional about getting better. Um, I think a lot of times it's easy to kind of get comfortable at a particular level. Um, but one place that you're always challenged to grow is in your marriage. 
Um, and I think Elena and my wife, uh, Elena has, has helped me in that regard, um, to, to, to throw things off of me and to question why I do things or questioning, um, my intentions behind certain things that builds a certain level of character, certain level of integrity. Um, and that can't help but translate to the professional side of things. Um, because if you can look your wife in the face and know at the end of the day, what I'm telling you is true, the truth, what I'm telling you is in our best interest. Um, then it makes it that much easier for me to look into an employee's eyes and tell them something difficult or um, look into someone who's asking me for advice um, as a young professional um, and know that I'm grounded in some way. Um, and so that would be my answer to that question. Um, but it, it's, it's definitely been an experience. Man, so just to give you all some, some further background, and this, this whole, not even interview, just conversation is going to be a lot of background because James and I have such a colored and colorful um, history. So I met James and Elena in the same year. Um, I was James's RA. I, was Elena living in Phil Hawkins? She was not. She was in Reynolds. I'm okay, so yeah. Reynolds, that's, that was my freshman year dorm. So I was a sophomore. I was James's RA. Um, I was basically all the black kids on campus RA, though. I, everybody would come and chill in Phil Hawkins. And um, that was really my role. Actually, it was my wife's RA. James and my wife were on the same hall, and so or same floor, and so we uh, it's just, it's just crazy how things have evolved. But to have seen them go from friends, which I strongly advise for any relationship, starting starting as friends, and developing into you know a beautiful couple who has a very bright future ahead of them, I am um, I'm proud to to know this man. I was in his wedding. I had a very small wedding party. Um, only my brothers were were standing beside me, so I didn't have any any groomsmen outside of them. But other than that, man, James definitely would have been in it. Uh, we've traveled together internationally. That's for sure. Uh, hit Costa Rica. Um, we've hit the West Coast, Vegas, and L.A. Yeah. Um, I think we 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 owe each other a New York trip. I think. And yeah, both of us got to go at the same time. We got to. Um, so yeah, this is this is my dude. Um, great, great answer to that first question. So now as a leader in the home, you know, me, you and I just had a discussion before I cut this on. Um, and we talked about, uh, briefly about gun ownership, but not even the, the physical protection. How do you feel you really embody, you know, okay, this is what I have to do as a black man right now in history, because as we know, man, um, there's often a target on our backs. And even if it's not a literal target, the la the lack of value over black lives has pushed me to the point where I say, you know what, I don't feel comfortable without having um, some kind of way to protect my family. So, what do you think as, as far as being a protector? How, how does that how does that shape your your role as as a man and as a husband? Sure. So, uh, in terms of protection, I mean that's one of the main things that you have to be as a husband and as a father. Eventually, you know, um, in terms of leading your family. Um, a lot of times we look at, you know, the providing aspect of it um, or the spirituality part of it. Um, but there is a call for us to protect our families. And I think in this particular age and this time, it has become, I would say, even more pressure on us to figure out what does that even look like? You know, there was a time where you put an alarm system in your home and you would just expect that the police would show up and, uh, and, and, and handle anything. Uh, without even thinking, questioning if it was your home, <laughs> right, right. And now um, we're just seeing that that may not always be the case. Um, and so I've 
personally, as, as you mentioned, have, have started asking myself the question, you know, is it time for me to, you know, protect my family in terms of a firearm and, 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 and am I prepared to, to do what I need to do to take care of my family? And I think those conversations are evolving. And I think, um, my, my view on it is that, um, if I'm going to do it, you need to make sure that you're prepared to do what you need to do to be, to be, to be responsible with it. Um, and, and for me, you know, as a, I try to, of course, you know, stay in prayer, try to speak, seek spiritual guidance and, um, because everything can't be handled, uh, physically. Um, but we do know there are some certain times where you, you do have to, to, to be ready to do what you need to do. So, um, for me in terms of protection, I've, I've definitely been, been considering, you know, the next steps in terms of look, if I need to, to, to get a firearm, because personally, um, growing up, that wasn't something that was always presented to me. I always knew my father had a few growing up, growing up in the country, you know, um, shotguns, deers and different things like that. But it was never presented in a way of this is how I protect my family, if that makes sense. Um, but now in this, in this, in this age of black lives, I mean, uh, we have to, <laughs> a friend of mine put it in a, in a good way, you know, the, the police respond to crime. Um, and so what happens in that time that you're waiting for a response is always going to be major. That's powerful. That, that was heavy. Um, and, and two things that you said on the past two, two statements that I agree wholeheartedly with. You've used both um, kind of interchangeably evolution and growth as far as you evolve um, with your wife. You know, you've grown with her. You, you've grown in, as a leader. And one thing I try to tell young people who are considering being married, and one thing that I've told you, I think, um, having one year on you just about, but nothing nothing too heavy, but a little, a little bit of time in marriage, what I have realized, and you have realized, this day and age, growth happens for all of us at such a rate that didn't happen for our grandparents or their parents or anyone before. Because you go to work for eight hours a day, Atlanta goes to work for eight hours a day. I go to work eight hours a day, Desiree does. Within those eight hours, we all experience so much new growth and development. And if you allow that to happen over years, guess what? You've grown apart if you don't have the conversations that help you grow together. Um, and I think that that has to be considered when you're planning on, um, on developing your family. If I'm growing in one direction, Desiree is growing in another direction. It's hard if we don't have conversations on a regular basis or if we allow for one another to grow you know, contrast to the other. Guess what? I, I see how, and I'm, I'm never ever thinking about getting divorced, but I see how people do when you've allowed your significant other to grow in a, a separate direction. And that's men and women. It's not saying I'm allowing someone to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when we both come home and don't discuss what happened during our day, or we're only deciding the things that we deem important. No, you know, I want to know about your day so that I can see how you're growing have the conversation so that we're growing together as opposed to growing apart. Absolutely. I mean, and it's funny you say that because, you know, one of the staples in the black family was coming together at the table. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and whether that be, you know, the husband or wife um, or the kids, you know, in school. And I think um, a lot of times we have eliminated just with how busy our lives are and just how kind of how um, laissez-faire, if you will, we are when we get home and we kind of don't have these designated times where we de devote, you know, some time to say, how, you know, what was your, how was your day? Did you encounter anything during your day that might 
present some trauma to you that I may not know about that we may need to discuss. Um, you know, during this time of quarantine, it's actually been funny because um, now that the way that we work has pretty much been turned upside down, um, being home, you know, for the past three months, primarily, you know, with my wife, um, we've been able to do more discussion about just her professional life in these past three months than we've done since we've been married. Yep. Yep. Because um, in terms of a, me having more of a dominant personality, the way I process is I'll get home and I'll immediately just start shooting off the stuff that has happened to me or what's going on with me. And she kind of has to catch it, you know. Um, but now that we're both home, so I'm not necessarily coming home, if you will. We're both, you know, doing what we have to do for our organizations from home. It's been more of a partnership. It's yeah. been, you know, what do you need to do your work well and, and let me understand what what it is that you do so that I can support you. Man, it's crazy you say, you know, talk about sitting down at the table. So Desiree and I, we usually eat in the living room, but it's just the two of us. As we consider growing our family, it's like, yeah, we need to start getting more comfortable just sitting at the table and eating dinner together without the distractions. Because we'll sit in the living room, cut on Hulu, and we'll have discussions but, you know, how much has social media and have, have television changed the way that we interact with one another? You know, sometimes it's like, yo, let's sit down with no distractions like we had to do with our families. And thankfully, you know, you and I grew up with both our parents in the house um, and were able to have that experience where how was your day? What did you learn at school today? Did anything traumatic happen? And then comes a conversation of if something did happen, hey, we need to have a discussion with the teacher. Contrary to the popular narrative that black men are not in the families or in the households, we both saw that that's, that's not true. There are instances where that's the case. There are instances in white homes where that's the case. Um, and we can't, we can't let that narrative thrive. And so I'm, I'm very glad to have you, you here to, to discuss. This is what a, there's a variety of, of households within the black community, just like any other community. And, you and I believe in that home that looks like mother, father, children, everybody coming down, coming together, you know, saying grace. The, the traditional, but not in a toxic fashion. Absolutely. Um, I can only speak from, and everybody, like you said, has a different experience. Um, and I think it's, it's, you know, the set of circumstances that you're presented with and how you grow up. You can't have a, so much control over that. But, you know, once you know more, once you, once you learn more, you can do better. Um, and so for some of that, for some of us, life has had to teach us that. Um, and I think for me, um, as you mentioned, there are a variety of different homes. And I was blessed to say, you know, I had a have an active and loving mother, had a very active and engaging father. Um, for me, both of my parents are a little on the older side. Um, so I grew up with um, more of an old school lens on things. You know, both of my parents are in their 70s. Great know. people. Great, great uh, people. Yeah. So so it. it the emphasis on family, the emphasis on um, trying to make sure you have some moral standing, trying to make sure that you have some knowledge, because I, I think now, um, particularly, you know, in this Black Lives Matter movement, um, a lot of the things that we hear um, are things where people are saying, you know, know your history, know, uh, know how things used to be. And it is absolutely certain that if you aren't educated, even at the local level or know what's going on, um, these things that we've seen in the past can repeat themselves, I mean, for sure, in, in different fashions. And so um, a part of where you get educated on things is, is the home. 
Um, and so it's important that we as black men, we as black husbands, um, that we do as what we can to be knowledgeable, whether that's um, formal education, whether that's um, di diving into a business, whether it's getting involved with a group, um, whatever that looks like for your space, um, I think it's, it's, it's a call on us to, to, to lead in that way. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try another bourbon while we real, real quick break. I'm going to mess with this Angel's Envy real quickly. I'm excited. Let's see. Nice light, light, light pour. I love the marketing on this bottle, man. Oh, yeah. You know me, I'm big on the back. Morning. Yeah. All right. I like it. Little, like, notes of vanilla in it a little bit. Absolutely. I think I'm going to give me a little pour, too. It's been a while. Oh, that's smooth. Is it smooth? I, 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 that's going in the collection. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think I told you and Vince a couple weeks ago, man. I, I literally, until Friday, had 20 bottles of whiskey, not including the, the other drinks. And it's because for the podcast, I'll sit here and grab a bottle. And I gave one away on um, on Friday. One of my boys was here. Um, one of my boys from Rhode Island and doesn't have any family down here. Moved down here for a job. And I was like, yo, bro, I know you ain't got nobody. You've been chilling at the crib. Come over. I'll put something on the grill. And I sent him home with um, with one of my, my go-to bottles. Um, really cheap, actually. Suggestion. Jim Beam Repeal Batch. I'm not a Jim Beam fan. Okay. The Repeal Batch... It, they tried to make it like they did back in the era when it was illegal to uh, to drink. No, Jim Bean, is that does that Heaven Hill Distillery? I'm trying to. I'm trying I think to... it is. I think it's the same distillery. Okay, but yeah, so they they I'm not a fan of the regular stuff. This joint is solid. Yeah, they definitely have some picks in their in their collection um, in their lineup um, outside of Jim Bean that are that are that are good. But I think you know we all have our different you know preferences you know at different price points. So for sure. So it, that joint, inexpensive, pretty smooth, under $17. Oh, you can't right. beat that. I mean, I, I think that that's going to be a staple just to have in the house for when the boys come over for making cocktails, things like that. Absolutely. So, yeah, I sent that joint home with uh with my boy, Eddie. And then he went and bought another bottle because he was like, yo. <laughs> I mean, you got to have something for the fellas to you do. go through. You got to have something to make cocktails where you got to have something that you can do neat, you know. Bro, remember back when we were drinking that that junk in, in my apartment, man? Oh man, back in the day, man. Cats oh, did not have any kind of culture when it came to the drinks we had. Not at all, man. It was just like, yo, we're gonna have a fun night. I don't even know if back in the day we even knew what bourbon was. <laughs> right, right. We just knew I, alcohol. Like we knew the word alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. For sure. But I, now, you know. Man, I, I ain't even gonna go into the uh <laughs> the phone party days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's oh, leave that one for well, a different. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's another episode. That's an episode with Vince for sure. For sure, yeah, Vince. <laughs> shout out to Vince. Um, so yeah, you know, we, we've mentioned a couple times the the challenges that we face as black men right now, and black people in general. You know, black men, black women, um, black value, black lives just being devalued. How do you feel about this moment? Because because for me, it feels different. Like this moment in history feels much more different it feels like a, it could be a turning point for the united states um, and possibly the world i mean this this moment is huge no doubt um when you look i think every generation has their moment um i think um of course uh the abolishment of slavery but then on up through jim crow uh through segregation 
Um, and I think in this particular moment, not that it hasn't been happening um, before now, but p p police brutality um, is kind of appears to be our our moment in this time where our generation, who is pretty much leading this this movement, has said, you know, enough is enough. Um, and it does feel different. Um, it does feel particularly different um, with Ahmaud Arbery and uh, and George Floyd um, and kind of the response. Um, and, and I was saying this is that, you know, back in the 50s and 60s when they were protesting and marching, um, they had to march to be visible. Um, there was no social media. Um, there was no, uh, you know, they had radio, but but um, particularly now just to see how how change can be sparked. Um, unfortunately, the catalyst for these changes have been tragic, but um, just to see the response from particularly our, our generation um, and, 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 and us being able to use our platforms in a way that just demands that the world pay attention to us. Um, and in particular, um, with the way our government is now and, and just kind of the hostility, um, there is a particular need for action, but not for, more than anything, a particular need for love. Um, I think if if we always approach each other in such a hostile way, um, and that's on both sides, black people and white people and, and, and all races, is that if if my first line of, of, of defense or if my first way of, of acknowledging you is with with some type of hostility, those that doesn't tend to end well. Um, and so, you know, on my end, you know, I'm just hoping that we can embody um, the love aspect of it, um, as well as as calling things as, as they need to be called out, and that accountability can be at every level. You know, I have a um, I have a, a white neighbor who lives around the corner, and cool guy. I mean, you know, we actually probably may have waved a couple times before COVID, but now, as many of us are doing, you know, he's taking walks during the day with his family, and um, or I'll go running and he'll be running at the same time. We'll, we'll do a little more speaking. And today, I, I may have went out of my way a little bit, but I made sure that uh, Desiree and I were taking our walk, and he was taking a walk with his uh, wife and three children. And I made sure to go out of my way to say hello. And Desiree was like, you know, was, was that really necessary? And I said, I'm trying to develop a relationship with him because he's my neighbor. Back in the day, you know, our parents knew their neighbors. I'm, I'm much more of an extrovert than Desiree is. But I... I feel like that's the way to bridge the gap. Um, Definitely. Developing those relationships with those people beside us as opposed to living in silos. This is a neighborhood. A neighborhood is a community. You can't have a community without interactions. A and, thousand percent agree. And that's my part of the relationship. Like, I know I'm much more outgoing than she is, but I let her know this is my personality and opposites attract for a reason and we're together for a reason. And so guess what? My job in this relationship is to be the one who makes the community connections that keeps us safe. Because these people knowing who I am and me saying hello to our neighbors, if something happens because they don't have your phone number, if something happens to our house and we're away, I'll get the call. That's important to me. It's important that I build those pillars. But I think that we, um, as as people in marriages, be it you're the leader or, or the more dominant or the, the less dominant person, it's just important to know your strengths and play on them. Like, though, instinctually, this is who I am. Essentially, that's who you are in your marriage. And it helps because if you're out on vacation or on your anniversary or whatever, and there's a flood at your house, if nobody has your number in your neighborhood, 
you don't even know what's going on. It's true, and it's and it's interesting. Interesting that you say that because um, I've probably been a homeowner for uh, about a year and a half now, and I want to say probably the first. Yeah, eight, about the same time. About the same time. Yeah, about yeah. the same time. I was December of uh, eighteen. I, yeah, I was October. Yep. Yeah, man, you actually inspired me to go for it. So shout out to you, man. But. I was kind of the person that, you know, I was going to be shut off. You know, I don't want to live in my home. Don't kind of want to interact with anybody. And then recently, um, I, I got into cycling, as you know. Mm -hmm. And my and man, hey, <laughs> James be moving. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think yesterday, so he was supposed to come over yesterday. And he was like, yo, man, I, I can't make it because I'm about to ride 65 miles. <laughs> I'm like... Wait, what? In a car? <laughs> My man James is a cycler. But yo, 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 you got the cycling, keep going, man. Yeah, man, it's crazy off. how, you know, I, you know, I go outside, I, you know, I see my neighbors, but I, you know, wave every now and then. But it's weird because just the other day, one of the guys that lives kind of across from me just kind of came over to my door. And I was trying to figure out, you know, <laughs> you know, you at home. If, if you don't have an Amazon shirt on, you know, just, you know, pulling up to my door. Right. So I'm peeping outside, looking at the cameras. And, and so when I answered, he said, you know, hey, man, I'm your neighbor from uh, across the way. And I noticed uh, the other day um, that your garage door was up. Mm -hmm. And I keep a few bikes in my garage. And he, he was like, you know, I know you, you know, you got some nice bikes. And, you know, generally in the neighborhood, what's kind of custom is that people kind of, you know, if they leave in the morning, their garage door is up. You know, I, we kind of try to, someone will put it down, you know, just trying to make sure that nothing happens. You know, and at that moment, I was like, wow, you know, would I, you know, would I do that <laughs> for someone else? Like, would I, I would, I almost feel a little scared stepping on someone else's property, you know. Um, but to, to use your analogy about, you know, using your strengths from there on out, because he knows that I like to, to ride bikes, he started connecting me with like three or four other people mm -hmm. down the street. Saying, hey man, this is this is Javier. He, you know, he mountain bikes. He he road bikes. And so just yesterday, after we finished riding, like you said, I mean, I had maybe a, a 20, 30 minute conversation with this guy that has been living two doors down from me for the last two years yeah. that I've never talked to. Yeah. And it's crazy the medium that can bring you together. And I think while we have to address issues, um, you know, like justice and things like that, particularly in the courtrooms and then and, and systematically, um, there's also a way that we can affect change just through kind of the simple things, whether it be like what we're doing, um, having conversation over, over, over whiskey, um, or whether that be cycling, whether that be, you know, someone else that's into the same business that you're doing. Um, cause I think, you know, Dr. King had a dream. Um, and that dream was that we would still be able to, to talk to people of different races and to play with them and to, and to raise our children together. Um, and I think, that can still happen even in this era. Um, and we kind of have to keep that in the back of our minds is, you know, the ultimate goal hopefully would to be that, that we can come together. Yeah. We have to lean into our humanity for sure. We've gotten so wrapped up in and engulfed by technology and the ease of doing things that we don't want to do anything. That's not easy or not comfortable, but we have to, I, we really, that's what, that's what's going to save us is the empathy that we get from having conversations with other people. Um, I was listening to Ricky Smiley yesterday, and he spoke in a way that said, I don't care if you cancel me, 
this is my perspective. And there was a young boy who this weekend was um, shot and killed in Birmingham, I believe, Alabama. He was at a shopping mall and someone got, there was an altercation. He was hit by a stray bullet. Eight years old. And Ricky Smiley was, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't curse regularly if you've ever listened to his show. You know, he, he's a funny guy. He might, he might push some envelopes, but he's not, he's not big on cursing. But, you know, he said along the lines of, I'm effing upset. And I, I understand because while we certainly and always, always have to deal with the issue of white supremacy, of violence against black bodies, of devaluing black bodies, because we live in a system that is not owned or or has been constructed by us, that seeps into us sometimes, and we have to value ourselves. And you know, the fact that someone did not value lives enough, um, anyone's life, but in in a predominantly black setting, decided that he was going to open fire and ended up taking the life of a, a young child. We have to also be concerned with that. You know, we we can focus on multiple issues at a time. We are not simple-minded creatures. We are we aren't. Uh, I'm not a cheetah who's only focused on getting my next meal. I can have a mindset that allows me to address all the the um, injustices in the world and, and speak on them. So I think that um, that being able to to identify and articulate past that's wrong, but saying that's wrong and this is how we can can affect change is, is important because so often, yeah. There are cops out here killing us, and that's a huge issue, and we have to address that because a lot of the times, the ones who are, not all of them, but the ones who are killing us are getting off without being arraigned, seeing court dates. But further than that, there are people in our own communities. For sure. And, and this, this child didn't deserve to die at the hands of a bullet, a stray bullet from someone who was upset because he had to put on a, a mask. Like we, we have to look at the bigger picture and we have to lean into our humanity, which is what I was getting back to. We have to realize if this were my child, if this were my nephew, my niece, how would I feel? It's almost contrary to think, you know, in order to, to like we were talking earlier about how we protect ourselves. And, and if you're going to protect yourself, you know, in terms of carrying a firearm, you almost have to think. Instantly, like I, I don't just if I have to do it, I have, you know I have to do what I have to do. I'm, a, you know, but at the same time, it's like, how do you reconcile doing what you have to do on the spot with then? But this is a life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is this is this is something that you can't get back. This is something that there's no amount of money that can bring it back. And we a lot of times we particularly when you talk about the police. You know, who knows what they respond to or what, what situations that they go into and they whatever training that they have. But then at the same time, as you said, we're asking them to lean into their humanity. Yeah. And so I think that that calls for a lot, a lot of different things. Um, uh, and, 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 it, and it can be tough because life is precious, man, and, and it's precious all the way around. It can't it's, be replaced. It can't be replaced. Um, we have to, you know... We have to going back to my love thing is that if, if 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 you if you can't get around the race thing at least love life <laughs> you know you know love that 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 someone is has the opportunity to breathe and and to contribute to society and 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 that cannot be swept under the rug it just can't.
The goal for me, and I, I had a conversation with someone about this today. Actually, I was talking to Vince. I hope I never have to use my firearm outside of a firing range or shooting range. I hope that, that, that's the goal for me. My second goal is that if I do have to use it outside of that range, I want to have a good enough shot that I can aim not to kill. I'd much rather you get a kneecap replaced <laughs> and you be this disabled because there's nothing in this house outside of the life of my family that is worth taking the life of another. And if I can stop you from continuing to push yourself against my family and, and save your life, I'd much rather do that. Um, the problem is, man, some of these people, it seems, are shooting to completely take away someone's ability to change. And that's why, that's why I've never believed in the, uh, the death penalty. Because as a Christian, as a believer, I believe that at one point or another, someone can find Christ. And yeah, they might be spending their life in prison. And it, it, that's a terrible, terrible way to go out. I think we need to change the criminal justice system as a whole. But I'd rather give them the opportunity to, to find solace for their soul for sure, than to take it. And I, I never want to be, in that, put in that, be put in that position. But at the same time, if you threaten my family and I have to, then I have to. But I think people, some people are doing it when they don't have to. That is, and that is a major point. And as a Christian myself, you know, I, I have the beliefs that, you know, it's never too late for anyone. Right. Um, and, right. and salvation, it's not going to make sense to a lot of people. Um, and it's not supposed to in, in a sense of, you know, his ways are higher than our ways. And so, um, and even throughout the Bible, um, everybody that was used by God had a past. Yeah. You know, you're talking about people who used to stone people, who used to kill people, mm. who used to lie, who used to used to curse, who used to be adulterers. I mean, so, you know, we can never get in a position where we think that we can be someone's judge. Um, but that doesn't take away the need for accountability in the society that we're in. Right. It's a balance. And, and, and to your point, uh, when, when shooting and killing becomes recreational, we have a problem. Um, and, and, and that's why, as you mentioned, if I, if I ever, you know, have a firearm and I, and I have to make that decision, it has to be made solely based on my family was at risk and I did what I had to do. Um, and, and, and I think if that is the decision that I have to make in order to fire a, a gun, then I want it to be that um, instead of it just kind of being just going into different areas or stirring up trouble or or, or running with maybe the wrong crowd or, 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 or whatever. But we have to we ha we cannot get to the point where life is just um, taking a life or, or putting someone in jeopardy. It's just become trivial. Look, man, I really appreciated having you on the podcast. We're gonna finish this chicken. We're gonna continue to to sip on this this bourbon. But um, I'm gonna cut off the, the recording, and we're gonna keep we're gonna keep this thing rocking. That's right. Love you, man. Appreciate you. To everyone else, thank y'all for listening. Uh, as always, subscribe, comment, like, follow on um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and see you again next week, same time, same place. Peace.